Hello, Duncan Green here um, with your weekly roundup and the first one of 2019 of posts on From Poverty to Power. This is going to be a year of change, I think, on From Poverty to Power. We're in the middle of hiring someone whose job is going to be to get me off the page and to source a lot more content, uh, both written and audiovisual, from writers and thinkers across the global south, across the developing world. Uh, I'm very excited about this, and hopefully we'll have someone in place in the next couple of months who can start bringing this about. Anyway, in the meantime, I'm afraid you're stuck with me, so I shall give you a rundown on what was on the blog this week. Um, I always start the year with a summary of the stats uh, from the previous year, so 2018 in summary. Uh, this was on Monday. Um, the good news is, from my point of view, that the number of readers continues to grow, albeit slowly. There's about 320,000 unique visitors come to the blog. A unique visitor is a distinct IP address. It's not necessarily a distinct person. So if I read the blog on my phone and on my PC, that counts as two unique visitors. But anyway, the number's kind of been about 300,000 for a few years now, so I'm very happy with that. Um, I also summarized the posts that got the most readers, and there's this weird phenomenon that a 2009 post on climate change in South Africa is persistently the most read of any of the posts on the blog, uh, including all the ones that were published this year or last year. And I've no idea why. No one has told me yet why. who is recommending this. Why are 19,000 people a year reading this post? I would love to know if anybody out there um, knows the reason why it does so well. The other thing about the, the, the most read list is that seven out of 10 of them are actually from way back, from, from everything from 2009 onwards. Um, so the idea that blogs are just about, you know, um, here today, gone tomorrow, doesn't seem to work. Uh, there are actually a few who, which stick uh, on people's reading lists or somehow get out there and persistently get readers. The second uh, Tuesday post was um, a new paper um, and a post by Gisela Robles and Andy Sumner, um, a paper published by the Center for Global Development on who are the world's poor. They've taken another look at the numbers um, and they looked at multidimensional poverty, not just income poverty, but things like sanitation, um, health, um, access to roads, all sorts of, yeah, there's a, there's a new definition of poverty, which is a much more rounded definition of what it actually means to be uh, deprived, if you like. Um, and so they say, well, okay, if we take this multidimensional uh, approach to poverty, which has been pioneered by Sabina Alkire at, um, uh, the Oxford, uh, at Oxford, um, what, are, what's, what does it look like? And they find three sort of headlines that the multidimensional poor are young, um, children and young people, but not necessarily rural. There's actually a lot of urban poverty once you look in this wider way of what constitutes poverty. Um, rural poverty is about infrastructure, not having water, not having sanitation. Urban poverty is a bit different. It's much more about child health, child mortality, access to food. Um, and then different dimensions of poverty, some of them overlap, but some of them are quite delinked. And the one they picked on was health. They say that health poverty is actually quite delinked from other kinds of poverty, which means, which has implications for policy because it means governments should be targeting the health poor separately, if you like, from all the other kinds of uh, uh, poverty. Um, and there's a paper uh, which is, the blog is based on, the new paper, which is um, worth reading, I think, if you want to get into more detail on this. 
Wednesday, Caroline Cassidy, who used to work at ODI and has now gone freelance, wrote a, a piece about information fatigue, which I'm sure lots of you um, are familiar with, and what to do about it. Um, so her top tips were more aimed at the people writing in a situation of information fatigue rather than the fatigued people who were trying to work out what to do with their lives and not spend their whole time on social media. But anyway, her top tips are... You've got to know your audience much better. It's no good writing for the general public. You've really got to spend time digging in to understand what your audience is and isn't interested in, and that requires a bit of investment um, because you've then got to listen to them more. And then you've got to make your messages participatory. Yeah, the, uh, the idea that we shouldn't just be broadcasting our views or opinions, but we should be actually in more of a conversation, uh, which I try and do on the blog, not always successfully, I think. Thursday post, uh, our, um, the head of Oxfam's office in Washington, D.C., Nadia Dar, um, is a yeah, long-time uh, engager with the World Bank. So she wrote a piece about the surprise resignation of the World Bank president, Jim Kim, this week. Um, no one quite knows why. He said, oh, I've got this really interesting job coming up. That doesn't really explain why he gives three weeks' notice. Anyway... Uh, Nadia did not speculate on the reasons for his resignation, um, but she looked instead at his legacy, which she described as a mixed bag, um, with a big change of tone in a, from, from her point of view in a bad direction over the course of his t stay, from being interested in health and poverty and all the rest of it, to being much more focused on growth, private sector, you know, um, uh, and those sort of aspects. Um, and then a speculation on what happens next. Will the new appointment, historically, the World Bank president has been um, uh, at the discretion of the United States uh, and the United States president. So will that continue? There's been a long-term campaign to, um, to have an appointment based on merit rather than patronage. Um, and uh, it's possible that given that uh, President Trump seems so uh, uninterested in the multilateral system, it's possible that this is a time when it might actually be easier to shift towards a merit-based appointment simply because he's got other things on his plate and doesn't care that much. So we shall, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the, to the World Bank presidency. Finally, on Friday, I posted a review. Uh, I wrote a review of one of my all-time favorite human beings, Robert Chambers, um, and a book he's got out called Can We Know Better? Robert is this kind of extraordinary icon guru um, figure in his mid-80s. He's got more energy than, than most of the rest of us, um, even on our best days. Uh, he's inquiring, he's thinking, he's active, he's, he's a phenomenon, and he's always open to new ideas. He doesn't do that awful thing of saying, oh, we tried this in the 1970s and it didn't work. He's always enthusiastic and I think that's part part of the reason why he's just such a legend amongst sort of his students ex-students and the development sector in general can we know better is looking at the reasons for why the aid sector is full of what he calls errors myths and biases and he unpacks these he looks at the problem of both methodologies and procedures so methodologies he's got very little time for the idea that RCTs, randomized control trials, are necessarily the gold standard. He says it depends, which of course it does, um, uh, in terms of how you know whether something is true or not, how if you, you know whether some intervention works or not. And then procedures, he's no fan of the log frame, the logical framework, which he sees as a bit of a straitjacket, which, which sort of stops people thinking creatively about how they can uh, do useful work in the aid and development sector. Um, 
He, he argues that we need to redefine rigor for complex systems and that you can be rigorous and you can be evidence-based, but it's a different kind of rigor and a different understanding of evidence to that very linear sort of uh, approach, which is very common increasingly in the aid business. He argues that um, absolutely this is the, you know, the participatory methods of which he is a pioneer have uh, exploded the, the techniques and the understanding in recent decades and he's got a, some ideas of how that can go forward. And then he sets out a charter for what he calls a new professionalism in aid and development. And I think it's great. So I urge you all to read Robert, not just this book, Can We Know Better? But you can listen to a lovely podcast with him, which IDS has just started, or just read all his other books because they're all just absolutely great. OK, and on that note, have a great weekend and see you next week.